Have you ever wanted to play the perfect tabletop game where story beats run smoothly and there's no awkward pauses between dice rolls? Yeah, me too. But since that's impossible, I did the next best thing and novelized my Witcher tabletop game to showcase the story in its cleanest form. The result is this podcast. I'm Jacob Gerstel, and this is Tales from the Witcher. Part audiobook, part actual play, part serialized adventure, and a whole new way to vicariously enjoy tabletop games. Welcome to the world of The Witcher, where monsters roam freely and the continent is once again at war. If you were hoping to follow the plight of Geralt of Rivia, however, I'm not going to be doing that. Instead, I offer you the story of a not-so-merry band of degenerates who are making their way across the continent. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Collateral Damage 7. To his surprise, Ethramel recognized the town. He didn't recall the name, but he remembered that ancient keep on the eastern hill. The sorcerer had helped sack the town with the Vryhead Brigade back in the Second Northern War, as part of some raiding action to instill fear in the locals. It worked, perhaps a bit too well. It was this campaign of terror that branded the Vryhead Brigade as an elven band of war criminals. It's recovered remarkably well, Ethramel said. The town had been a smoldering ruin the last time he saw it. Five years later, it looked as if war had never touched it. What was that? Adro said. He was on his belly on the top of the hill, same as Raneth. They were dressed in lined and cracked leather, armed with bows and swords, and had green grease smeared across their faces. Ethramel's ragtag band of unsaid. A second Vryhead brigade, maybe, the sorcerer thought, a sour expression on his face. Better to leave that dead, actually, he said. Nothing. What do you reckon those pinpricks of light are? Raneth squinted against the setting sun. Hard to say, but they're heading towards the keep. They've got armor like knights, Adro said. Evidently, he had the best eyesight of the three. And they've got siege weapons. Another bloody siege, Ethramel sighed. He rolled onto his back and rubbed his eyes. He felt tired. To make up for lost time, he had teleported himself and Adro and Raneth to the spot of Zevo and Nulif's capture in the Redanian foothills. Then, following the tracks, Ethramel teleported everyone ahead periodically. This allowed them to reach the town with the forgotten name within a day, but it had drained Ethramel of most of his power. Ethramel sat up, felt a woozy head rush, and lied back down. Right, the Hansa's track lead directly to town. Who's willing to guess that old castle has some sort of dungeon? Adro restrung his bow and fingered the arrows in his quiver. Best be heading out then. Don't suppose you have enough in you to teleport again? Excitement laced Adro's voice. Ethramel couldn't fault him for that. Outside of Francesca Findebert, the famed Duchess of Doblathana, and Ethramel's first mentor in the art of magic, there were woefully few elven sorcerers remaining. And, Ethramel supposed, being teleported a half-dozen times in as many hours would impress anybody. If I teleported us, I wouldn't have any power left to fight, he said. So we'll be taking the long way. Raneth and I will go on ahead. 
Adro hopped to his feet and looked down at the relatively flat and empty plains that separated them from the town, though I imagine any town guards are about to have their hands full with these knights. No, we'll go together, but let's wait for the sun to set a little more. Darkness always suited our kind for tasks like these. Waiting a few more minutes will do us a world of good. The two elves nodded, and the sorcerer wondered why anyone would be fool enough to follow him. It was a strange sensation, having command. Ethramel wasn't sure he liked it, but he knew what he had to do, and planned on seeing it through. Ethramel wondered if the Vatgarn would thank him for breaking his sorry ass out. Likely not, but he would enjoy the look on his face nonetheless. Ethramel smiled, and covered his eyes. Ethramel wasn't sure how much time had passed, but Ranith prodded him with a boot. Night had settled over the town, and the torchlight forest had indeed stopped in front of the keep. The three elves wasted no time padding down the hill and slinking across the empty plains as quickly as they could. Ethramel motioned for them to take a wide northern berth, so they would avoid the streets and make a straightaway to the keep. It all seemed too simple. The three of them rounded the unnamed town with ease, keeping close to the buildings on the outskirts. Fighting started, Adro whispered as they neared the eastern end of the keep. Ethramel heard the telltale sign of stone smashing against stone. He wondered how long the walls of that keep would last. He remembered it being old when he sacked the town five years ago, and he can't imagine it aged gracefully. Are we to scale the walls then? Ranith asked as they pressed up against the keep's eastern wall. Ethramel touched the cool stone and crumbling gray paste that held the blocks together. He felt drained, true but he thought it less risky to teleport inside the walls than try to scale them. He had hoped to get a better sense of the area in the courtyard inside before blindly teleporting, but realized beggars can't be choosers. Fancy another jaunt? Ethramel said with a smirk. He stepped away from the wall and summoned up his power. Just as the grassy earth opened up to Ethramel's right like a cellar door. The sorcerer snapped his concentration back and pressed himself against the wall watching a she-elf and four dwan rebels, all clad in black, sneak out of the secret passage one by one. Ethramel recognized the elf with the bow hanging from her shoulder, Rissa. She had made a few deft hand motions and pointed towards the town. It had the look of an assassination squad, and they all had their backs to Ethramel and his own little Hansa. Adro and Ranith eyed Ethramel at once. The sorcerer hid his surprise and fear behind a shaky grin and once again summoned up his power. He took a step into the open, giving him a clear shot to Rissa's back. He said a few solemn words in elder speech, and shot a gout of flame from his hand, directly at her. To Rissa's credit, she heard the conflagration before it hit, allowing her a quarter turn. But the spell landed true, and caught her square in the side of the face. Rissa wailed and stumbled back, her black-clad rebels spinning and drawing their weapons. Ethramel did the same, and he was surprised he had the strength to hold his elven falchion. Kill the Dwan! he shouted. The elves threw themselves on the flat-footed rebels. Ethramel trusted the former Scoyatel and set his sights on Rissa, who, despite her reddened face and charred hair, still stood. She spun towards the sorcerer, her good eye goggling him with hate. Ethramel caught a glint of light from her. Zevo's barehead witcher medallion hung around her neck. Rissa snarled and reached for her bow, but Ethramel was on her before she could knock an arrow. The she-elf jumped back, 
but landed badly on her ankle and stumbled. Ethramel would have killed her with one sword strike if his wobbling legs didn't buckle underneath him, and they both lost momentum. From the corner of his eye, he saw Adro pressing a rebel, standing over the corpse of an already slain Dwan. This battle would be over quickly, one way or another. The sorcerer cursed and strode to Rissa's side, bringing his sword down on her shoulder. Rissa twisted her body and instead suffered a slash down her thigh. She again tried to step back, but ended up on one knee. She stared up at Ethramel, the flesh on the left half of her face bubbling, and spat. Ethramel opened his mouth to say something, but Rissa roared and lunged at him. The sorcerer, in surprise, held the point of his sword out in defense, and Rissa ran herself through. She coughed blood onto Ethramel's clothes, and her eyes went misty as she stepped back once more. Ethramel seized the bearhead medallion as she did, and snapped it off her neck with ease. That doesn't belong to you, Ethramel wheezed after Rissa collapsed. He heard no more sounds of struggle around him. Adro and Raneth had dispatched the other four Dwan, not without difficulty, if their heaving breasts and bloodied faces were any indication. Ethramel held Zevo's medallion up to the moonlight, then put it around his neck. It hummed lightly against his chest, which annoyed the sorcerer. He glanced at the newly opened passageway into the keep. This was fortunate, as Ethramel was completely tapped of power. Easier than scaling a wall, eh? he said to Adro and Raneth. You two go first. 8. The battle outside was slackening, the Witcher knew. The sound of ringing steel lessened, since the outer wall collapsed and the Order of the Flaming Rose stormed the keep. He heard a few triumphant shouts praising the eternal fire. Won't be long now, Zevo muttered. Armin the Architect had elected to find a safe passage out, which he theorized was in the basement. Zevo had other matters to attend to first, getting his swords, armor, decoctions, and witcher medallion back from Lear and Jafe, and whoever else was holed up in the warden's office on the keep's top level. Armin didn't protest, but told him and Newlift to hurry. He wouldn't wait long. The witcher didn't believe Armin would leave them behind for a second. The architect put on a show, but at the end of the day he wouldn't last long outside the keep. If the knights or rebels didn't kill him, some monster in the neighboring forests probably would. No, the architect would wait for them in the basement. Zevo was sure of it. Zevo and Nulif rounded a corner, and the witcher collided with a human, her head slamming into his chin before falling onto her ass. The witcher prepared the Igni sign, but let the power dissipate when he saw it was Silva. She rubbed the top of her head and sucked in her breath. Damn, you've got a jaw like iron, she said. You should watch where you're going. Pot and kettle, Nulif said. What in the hell are you doing here? Zevo asked. Isn't it obvious? Silva ran her fingers through her knotty hair to untangle it, and stood up. Jeremiah and I are here to rescue you, though you seem to have done half the work yourself. Zevo looked over Silva's shoulder. And just where is Jeremiah? Catching up, hopefully. Where are you headed? To the warden's office for my equipment. The witcher kept moving. Nulif fell in step behind him. Silva hesitated for a moment, then followed. Hey, wait, Silva said. Can't you let that stuff go? There's a damned war going on outside. No can do, Zevo said. Armin's in the basement, if you want to join him and wait for us, Nulif said. The architect, Silva said, trotting along. Why is he here? 
Zevo had not slowed down. They walked up a short flight of stairs and continued along. Hopefully we'll find out once I get my things. They reached the door to the warden's office. Zevo wasn't surprised that they met no guards or resistance. Everyone who could hold a weapon was likely fighting outside, including Will, the aged warden. Everyone except Lear and Jafe and the Hansa. Zevo felt naked without his weapons and armor. Not much to be done about it, though, he supposed. They would have only wasted time scouring the keep for suitable weapons and armor. Best to get it over with, Newliff said, sensing Zevo's hesitance. Aye, best to get it over with. Zevo felt tired, but he opened the door anyway. The warden's office was fittingly modest. Four blank wooden walls, a bare floor, and a small desk in the corner, unadorned with paperwork. One large window broke up the monotony, granting a view of the courtyard below. Delbra leaned against the window sill and watched the fighting below, arms crossed and frowning. Lear and Jafe sat loosely on the desk, looking deep in thought. No one else was in the room. Lear and Jafe and Delbra looked at the newcomers, and a strangely comfortable silence settled, broken only by Delbra's sigh. Really, what is there left to say? Lear and Jafe asked Zevo. Zevo shook his head. Nothing. Nothing at all. Zerkanian nodded and stood up. He aimed his palm at the three in one fluid motion, and a blast of heat baked the office. Zevo, Silva, and Nulif leapt to the side, avoiding the burst of flame that charred and cracked the wooden doorframe. Delbra drew a long knife and threw herself on Nulif. They collapsed onto the ground in a heap. Silva ran to Nulif's aid, but the psionic shot her a venomous glance, stopping Silva dead in her tracks. Blood trickled down Delbra's nose. Zevo faced Lear and Jafe. The Zerkanian summoned a ball of fire between his palms and lobbed it at Zevo. The Witcher may not have had his armor or weapons, but he still had his speed and reflexes. He leapt to the side, and the fireball smashed through the floor, opening up a surprisingly clean hole. Zevo lowered his head and rushed the Zerkanian, pulling into Lear and Jafe's gut with his broad shoulder. Lear and Jafe exhaled softly and grabbed hold of Zevo's neck with both hands. The two stumbled against the desk, pushing it flush against the wall with a screech. Leon Jave's fingertips dug into Zevo's neck, and his breath sharpened with the sudden lack of oxygen. Multicolored rings flashed in Zevo's vision as he wrapped his arms around Leon Jave's waist and tossed him to the side with a roar. The Zerkanian smashed his shoulder against the wall and dropped to the floor. He scrambled onto all fours just as Zevo's knee collided with his cheek. Blood sprang from Leon Jave's lip as he again sprawled onto the ground. Zevo brought his full weight on the Zerikanian, straddling him at the waist. Leon Jafe brought his head and left arm up, so Zevo punched him in the eye. The back of Leon Jafe's head slammed against the creaky floorboards, and his arm dropped limply away. Zevo raised his fist, aiming to shatter the Zerikanian's skull, but he held himself back at the last moment. He tried remembering the good times he had had with Leon Jafe and the Hansa and was surprised to find the memories thin and faded like an old bedcloth. Perhaps he was just too tired to think. The witcher's eyes widened when he heard Leon Jafe snarl a spell and swing his right arm towards Zevo's face. Zevo felt heat buffet his cheek as he dropped his weight back, an arc of flames just missing his eye. Zevo slammed his fist into Leon Jafe's face once more, and this time did not hesitate to deliver another blow. 
and another one, and one more. Zevo collected his breath. The world seemed to quiet around him. Best to keep moving forward, he decided, as he always did. Zevo! Newlyf shouted. Sound returned to the world, and he heard Newlyf grunt to his right. Delbar the psionic had gotten on top of her, and she had a bloody dagger in her hands, aiming straight for Newlyf's heart. The she-elf, though pinned, had her arms wrapped around Delbar's small wrists, and was holding the blade back with all her strength. Muscles sprung from Newlyf's neck like cords, her teeth clenched in concentration, her face slick with sweat, and her eyes wide and focusing on the tip of the dagger meant for her. Blood flowed down the side of Delbra's neck where she had been slashed, and it stained her shirt a dull copper, but she still apparently had plenty of strength and vitality. Delbra, strangely, was not looking at Newlyf, who she was locked in a life-and-death struggle with, but rather at Silva, who had not moved from her spot seven paces away from the two. Silva was trembling minutely, unable to move even a finger. Her face was screwed in concentration as she tried to break the psionic spell Delbra was laying upon her. Three lives balanced precariously on a knife's edge, and one of them could slip at any moment. For now, that appeared to be Newlyf, whose strength was failing. Delbra's knife inched closer and closer to her heart. Newlyf gasped and tried to summon a burst of energy to keep the psionic's blade away, but it failed to gain traction. The she-elf gasped and craned her neck, so her damp cheek was resting on the floor. Sevo, he heard Silva say. He looked to the woman rooted in place. Somehow, Silva had managed to turn her head slightly, though she struggled to form her words. No matter what happens next, don't kill me. The witcher didn't have time to think on the request. He just knew that Newlyf would soon be dead, and Silva was the only one close enough to do anything about it. So he nodded, not quite sure what he was agreeing to. Silva closed her eyes and took a deep breath. She took a step forward with ease, and Zevo saw Delbra's eyes widen in surprise. Silva wasted no time pointing at the psionic and muttering a single phrase. Delbra's face slackened in that moment, and her eyes glazed over. Delbra pulled the knife away from Newlyf and slowly stood up, seemingly oblivious to everyone around her. Blood pulsed from her neck wound, and Zevo reckoned she would bleed out in short order if she didn't get it treated. Delbra didn't seem concerned with that. She only seemed concerned with the door. She walked towards it, past a bewildered Zevo and a quiet Silva. Delbra left the warden's office with no fuss at all. She simply abandoned the fight, as if it meant nothing to her. She didn't even seem to register that Leon Jafe was dead. Zevo watched her leave before rushing over to Newlyf, who lied on the floor gasping for breath, arms and legs spread as if making a snow angel. Are you all right? Zevo asked, kneeling by her. Newlyf nodded and propped herself up on her elbows. She looked at Leonjave's body, then at Zevo, then looked at the ground, then nodded again. I hope so. What did you do to Delbra? Zevo asked Silva. Silva looked remarkably calm and all the stress and exertion of the fight seemed to have melted away. I just implanted an idea in Delbra's head, she said, that she should leave this room without a second's hesitation, and not return. How long will that last? Newlyf asked. Long enough, Silva said with a smirk. The witcher grunted. 
he had seen this witch reduce an armored man to a burnt husk with her hexes. That's all you did, eh? I guess I was very convincing, Silva said. A rousing cheer from outside pierced the room. It sounds like the fight is over. I wonder who won. Silva walked over to the large window overlooking the courtyard. Zevo helped Nulif up, and they looked out as well. The courtyard was littered with debris and corpses, but it was the Knights of the Flaming Rose who stood, and the rebels who kneeled. The leader of the knights, a large man with close-set eyes who looked distantly familiar, motioned to a fiery brazier in the courtyard. He beckoned for one of the kneeling men to come forward, an older man with a stooped back, Will the Warden, a man who had promised not to treat Zebo and the others unkindly, and kept that promise. Zebo could not hear what the knight was saying to Will, but the gestures and stance said enough. The Witcher had had his share of encounters with the Church of the Eternal Fire, and if they weren't busy trying to convert you, they were busy trying to persecute you. Seeing as how Will wasn't a mutant, Zevo knew that the knight was trying to convert him. The knight pointed to the metal brazier filled with flame, and then spoke to the fifteen or so disarmed rebels. No one did anything for a moment. Then Will nodded and approached the brazier. He tentatively reached a hand towards the flame, but after a moment, the knight grabbed Will's wrist and forced him to touch the metal. They heard Will's screams loud and clear. After a moment, the knight pulled the old warden's hand away, then smiled broadly and patted Will on the back. Another of the knights wrapped Will's hand in a white cloth before leading him away. What in the hell are they doing? Nulif asked. What the Church of the Eternal Fire considers a baptism, Zevo said. The knights are offering the rebels a chance to convert, but those that join the church must prove their loyalty. This is how they show they embrace the Eternal Fire. And if the rebels say no, I suppose... Nulip's question was answered immediately. One of the rebels who was offered this choice shook his head. The large knight stabbed the rebel in the heart with a dagger. Before the rebel's twitching body was even pulled away, the knight was already offering this choice to the next rebel. There you are. Zevo spun around to see Jeremiah, Ethramel, and two other elves crowding the office doorway. I told Ethramel if we kept going up, Jeremiah said, we'd eventually find you. Zevo eyed the sorcerer and his two elven companions with suspicion. Didn't think I'd see you again, he said. I thought I would, Ethramel responded. That's why I drummed up a rescue party to save you. I'll mistake your tone for gratitude. And Silver and I trailed you for days, Jeremiah added, with every intention of helping you break out. It's not my fault Sir Isaac had other plans. The name clicked for Zevo. He had seen the big knight with close-set eyes back in Mahakam with the Redanian delegation. Speaking of the angry zealot besieging the castle, Ethramel said, The battle's over, Silva said. She was still watching the spectacle outside. The knights won. Precisely my point, Athramel continued. Unless we want to be burned at the stake, I suggest we leave quickly. Before bumping into Jeremiah, we ran into our old friend Armin, the architect in the keep's basement. I promised we'd meet him there once we got everyone reassembled. I can teleport us all someplace safe. Zevo grunted. He disliked the sorcerer, but he would be a fool to turn down an easy escape from this keep. His eyes caught a glint of silver beneath Ethramel's open shirt, and he knew what it was at once. He strode towards the sorcerer and snatched his witcher medallion up. 
Where'd you get this? He snarled. The elves behind Ethramel tensed up and reached for their weapons, but the sorcerer remained calm. Found it off Rissa. I was going to give it back. Sure we're taking your time with that. Once we were clear of this damned place, Ethramel finished. But take it now, if it means that much to you. Zevo roughly snatched the necklace from Ethramel and put it on. He felt more like himself with the medallion's comforting weight against his chest. Jeremiah claims he killed the gnome in your old Hanza, Ethramel added, as Zevo set about collecting his swords from the warden's desk, and we passed Delbra's body on the way up here. She had collapsed on the staircase, bled out from a nasty neck wound. He paused, waiting no doubt for Zevo to react or snap back. The Witcher didn't want to provide him any satisfaction, so he made a show of unsheathing and inspecting his silver sword. I think it's safe to say your old Hansa is no more. Zevo snapped his silver sword back into its sheath and said, Seems that way. All except for me, Nulif added, but there was no bite in her tone. She sounded like a person who could think of nothing but a comfortable bed and a long nap. I can't find my decoctions anywhere, Zevo said. His armor was lying in a sack in the corner of the room. Maybe Rissa took it someplace, if she had my medallion. Collateral damage, Zevo, Nulif said. It's time to go. Silva left the room. Zevo kept a wary eye on the witch, remembering what she said to him before polluting Delbra's mind with a hex. Nulif left next, followed by Ethramel and his two elven friends. Zevo noticed Jeremiah lingering by the window. Sir Isaac had finished baptizing the rebels, and was busy proselytizing to them about their new life that would be free of sin. You know, the craftsman said, I never liked Sir Isaac. Live to fight another day, Jeremiah. Let's go. They reconvened in the basement of the conquered keep, and Ethramel teleported everyone far away from Houtsburg. None of them ever returned. That'll do it for this episode of Tales from the Witcher. This podcast is written and produced by Jacob Gerstel. The Witcher novels are by Andrzej Sapkowski, The Witcher games are by CD Projekt Red, and The Witcher tabletop RPG is by R. Talsorian Games. The music is by Eric Matias at soundimage.org. Be sure to leave a rating and a review, and to spread the word of this podcast far and wide. You can follow the podcast at Tales Witcher Pod on X or at talesfromthewitcher.buzzsprout.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you again next week.